of an Eye, Life Stories of Trauma, Loss, Awakenings, and Epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Welcome to the Blink of an Eye Story, Season 3, Episode 5, Sweet Savorings. Today, we are going to pick up right where we left off during our last episode in the intensive care unit at the Shepherd Center. The magical three days promised to wean Archer off the ventilator had passed, and I could feel that we were slowly getting marred in the reality of not moving out of the ICU for a while. I spent hours texting my prayer warriors to pray for Archer's strength, his will, and his body's strength to swallow as he practiced over and over with great pain, sipping one drop of water an hour. You'll be learning alongside with me about all the tiny detailed movements and actions that I needed to learn to keep a spinal cord injury patient alive and comfortable and cared for. You'll hear from Chris Killebrew, a dear friend from my college days, about the creation of a new home base for us in Atlanta. And you'll hear from our son, Dewey, about the hard work it took for Archer to eat food regularly. So take a deep breath, settle in, and think about the everyday movement we have of breathing, of swallowing, of savoring, a moment, a flavor, a sound. Welcome to episode five, Sweet Savorings. September 9th, day 36, day seven at Shepherd, Thursday, family and friends update. Okay. It's now 11.27 in the morning and I've seen two more hospital admins, a brief visitor from a kind person in Atlanta I did not know, but who stopped by to say hello and inquire how we were. And I've learned about vinegar soaks, which I'm doing for Archer's hands and feet that are shedding skin like you can't imagine. I had asked about his scaliness on his feet and hands since they haven't moved in over a month and what could be done. The Tex baths are good, but a sponge bath is not the same as a shower or a bath in the tub. So they told me I could put a vinegar wrap around Archer's hands. A vinegar wrap like the kind my grams used to do all over her hands after she had finished washing the dishes every night. Well, I tried. Good, but not enough. But just now, voila! We soaked each hand in vinegar about 10 to 15 minutes, and I gently exfoliated the dead skin. It was incredible. I'd highly recommend it for any athlete, gardener, or construction worker. Archer's hands looked awesome. And now I'm going to work on his feet. Oh my. It's now 1.49 in the afternoon. 
So let me tell you about the milestones from this day. Oh my gosh, where do I start? It's amazing. Well, I entered about 8 a.m. yesterday morning. And what to my wondering eyes should appear but Archer and his tiny reindeer, all moving him in the Gouldman lift, without the same retching pain of the day before's hoist. What is a Gouldman lift? Well, they begin by arranging a fabric sailcloth sling under Archer's body in his hospital bed. It takes two to three folks to roll him to his side for placement of the fabric under that side of his body while someone else holds him while someone else moves the various lines and tubes attached to his body gently aside and out of the way. Out of the way of the large pulley that is the Gouldman lift. The lift is like a pressing bar dangling from a strong chain like a pulley that glides on large tracks, like huge industrial track lighting, mounted on the ceiling, forming a large box frame around the ceiling above Archer's bed. And each of the four lengths, about 12 feet or so in length. Then the medical staff put the sling in place for the other side of his body. This used to cause Archer great pain to be rolled onto a side when we were in Atlantic City. It does not so much anymore. So we know he is healing and getting stronger. Then they put a hook into the corners of the cloth that is like a big swing. And he is then hoisted up onto the bar and pulley over his bed and into the wheelchair. All the while, someone holds his neck steadily. I know he is very afraid something might happen to harm his neck in the brace, but the brace is there to protect. But even so, the move from the bed to the chair is key and vital, really, to Archer building endurance, they said, and having his body work again. Staying in a bed really stiffens the body, atrophies the elasticity and musculature, and slows down the organs from doing what they are designed to do. Plus, it creates the dreaded bed sores. But the hoist has caused Archer a lot of pain in the last three days he has been put into it. Well, Dewey created a, if there is no struggle, there is no progress sign for Archer, which we put on the wall for him to see. So yesterday when I came in, one of the techs was saying to Archer in a very encouraging, bordering on exuberant tone, Archer, you're really doing better today. See, your neck is stronger. But he looked at her and was clearly still in great pain. I could tell she was almost embarrassed as she then began well, you know, and I think she was about to amend and possibly retract her statement of encouragement, just as Archer was lowered into the electric wheelchair. But I caught her mid-sentence, and I said, please, tell us that every day. Tell us his neck is getting stronger every day. And from one mama to another, you can tell at least me, he is improving and stronger. And I smiled and said to her, promise me? And she brightened 
and the pearly white smile spread across her dark brown face. And she said, Oh, yes, I see. I got it. And we exchanged knowing smiles. Archer remained in the chair for six and a half hours. Wow, that is huge. What a day yesterday was. Next, the occupational therapist, the OT, came and began to shape the customized hand splints I had mentioned. I mean, how cool is that? Even without arm or hand ability, yet, Archer does have bicep ability. So she fashioned arm splints that, she said, he will practice with, with very focused lifting, using his biceps. He's going to truly be Archer Strong, with the goal that he will be able to put a fork or a stylus in a piece of Velcro will then attach around the splint that he could use for eating or for his iPhone. Look out, Archer's friends. He will soon be on Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it is that he's able to figure out with the stylus. I say give him a week to get his ability and strength to use his bicep to lift the rest of his arm. Pretty cool. And as for Archer the artist, a dear friend at MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, where Archer used to go as a child to watch students paint, told me, we will figure it out. Oh, I feel so hopeful for him. It might just be a feather brush in his mouth to have the kind of precision, accuracy, and detail that we know Archer likes. But he will draw and paint again. I feel sure. Isn't it amazing, even without the use of his arms and hands, for now, that he may accomplish many other things? The OT also wheeled in another contraption, a Swedish sling that is like a human-sized mobile, something you'd see hanging from the ceiling in the Smithsonian Museum. It had lots of soft leather arm sleeves balancing on thin, smooth, bobbling, metal, wire-like pieces of steel. She worked to place Archer's heavy, floppy arms through the armbands, and he was like a marionette puppet, and it looked like it could be wonderful for a feeling of movement again. But it caused him incredible pain, so he stopped it immediately. It will wait. So much good, though. And so exciting, these things they have here and can wheel in and out in a New York minute, depending on the need. Then it was mirror, mirror on the wall as his physical therapist, the PT, came and worked with him using another wheeled in item. This time, a large floor length mirror, like you'd see in a department store. He was teaching Archer about his alignment and showing him what to look for to take care of himself because others, he said, may forget or not know how it's critically important to always have his hips centered and squared in the chair, never slumped, and his knees always the exact same laterally across, never one in front of the other, even slightly, never while in the wheelchair, as that throws his alignment off and will cause pain and possible skin lesions. He showed us a number of small, tiny things, what I just call 
little butterfly adjustments that make such a world of difference to Archer's comfort, progress, and recovery. As the PT was working on other things for Arch, Archer stared at himself in front of that mirror. I think he looked quietly and intensely at himself for 45 minutes or so. He did not change his serious countenance once. I could tell he was calculating and watching. He was studying. I know him well. It was a first for him to see himself. I realized too, I wonder what he is thinking. It must have been quite a sight, his now thin, spindly legs. He's lost already his youthful, strong muscle and a good 40 pounds. Wrapped now in blood pressure stockings that are wrapped in ace bandages for support. His hair is longer and a bit wild looking now that it's free and clean. The neck brace, the tracheotomy tube in his neck, and the large ventilator tubes hooked to the large machine. The four fluid lines in his body, the three different sip and puff, plastic stiff straws, sensitive to any motion on wire coils clipped to the sides of his wheelchair taking up so much space in front of his face. The straps around his chest and mid-body to keep him from sliding out of the chair. His arms strapped into the side arm trays of the wheelchair. We took the hand splints off after I noticed the edges were a little rough too and maybe starting to create pressure wounds which the OT asked me to be on the lookout for. So we removed the arm trays for now to see which of the reddish points on Archer's hands that we saw might be from too much pressure and skin friction from the splints which will go away today, or which are old reddish points from the many, many needle pricks and spots not yet healed, or in the process of scarring from the many draws of blood which are not likely to go away today. But they are very careful and methodical here at Shepherd. I like that. They also welcome my extra set of eyes. I don't see how any of us could do it all alone anyway. There's a lot to notice. Yes, the learning curve was steep at the Shepherd Center, and the days were long and hard. But the difference in environment was so remarkable. I had to pinch myself that we were really there. It's like an intensive care unit world and a rehabilitation world are truly different worlds in every respect. Well, I was anxious to get to the real rehab world, which was on another floor at the Shepherd Center where I thought we would have been, but not yet. As Archer struggled to work and cooperate, I was aware of how hard it was for him, not only to breathe, but for the staff to manage all of the tubing and machines required for Archer to breathe. I asked each staff member I saw how long they thought it would be before he was off the ventilator. 
the responses ranged from we get it done in a few days here to I'll have to ask the pulmonologist. Well, the pulmonologist was Dr. Zadoff. He was quiet and observant. I liked that about him, but I couldn't get any real sense of things. I was haunted by what it must have been like for Archer to have seen himself in that mirror during PT. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder what you would have been thinking or perhaps what you think he was thinking. It was hard work for both of us to learn all the necessary things to keep Archer comfortable, in alignment, and well, to keep Archer alive. I knew that everything being told to us was of great importance and we better take it all in and not forget. And I also had this sense at the same time that all of this would pass. Like it would just go away. I don't know. I realize now, many years later, how important it is to hope. It may have just been a coping strategy, but it was a relief to think it would somehow all go away someday and that Archer would walk again and have use of his hands and arms. I also entertained thoughts and made great plans in my head for how I would work during our time in Atlanta. I had received an email, an important email from my office that I had actually been appointed by the chief judge in Kentucky to mediate a contentious lawsuit, one that had been going on for over six years that involved contested law and taxes in the Court of Chancery in Delaware and the Family Court in Kentucky. I didn't wonder if I could do it, even though I would need to be in two other states. But I did wonder where I could do it while I was there. And my mind wandered to finding a space where I could be on a computer and a phone. We had to keep the wheels on the bus for our family. Working and mediating for me was the most natural thing in the world for me to resume. But my thoughts of how to do that were quickly severed when I watched Archer's dangling body in the arm harness and the look of horror on his face as he caught a sight of himself in that mirror. It was the look of a scarecrow on a stick and it was chilling. So I moved that mirror. But thank you, Lord, for the friends who surround us in Atlanta. They took care of me when I was focused on taking care of Archer. And one angel, Chris Killebrew, an old college friend, texted me from Europe that he had an empty condominium and that I was welcome to it. I learned he had learned of what had happened through a mutual other dear college friend, a Zeta Psi fraternity brother of Billy's in Virginia, Nick Costas. It is truly amazing, the web of friendships. Here is a story of how that happened from my interview with Chris. And I am reminded often of the favorite quote I keep in my office by the famous anthropologist Margaret Mead, 
Never doubt what a small group of committed citizens can do to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Well, our committed citizens were changing our world. Just taking a moment to remember our dear friend, Nick Costas, whom we lost during COVID and what an amazing human being he was and connector. That he was that. And for me to learn that he was the connector uh, for us is very precious. So thank you for giving me that information. I did not know that. Well, he was the one who followed up with me to let me know that you guys are coming to Atlanta uh, to go to Shepherd's Spinal Center. Nick said, hey, you've got a condo you're not using down there, right? And I said, well, yeah, exactly right. It was, uh, it was, uh, I was living in this little, little condo, two bedroom, one and a half bath, just me. We had some foundation issues and everybody had to move out. I moved out. It was there and the foundations had gotten, gotten repaired, but I had no intention of moving back into it. I was just, you know, hanging on to it, waiting to get it fixed up to, to get it sold. And when Nick let me know that you guys are going to be there, he also mentioned that I guess, I guess Shepherd Spinal Center was providing some level of housing for you. Yes. It's, it's really amazing with their program they provide 30 overnights in, in housing that they have built right there on, on their site. It's really in, in another building, but it's truly like a you know, few hallways away. But I was coveting those spaces uh, essentially because my, my primary goal was to make sure Archer uh, did not fall and plummet into sure. deep depression. And so I was I was praying that I could get his friends down there and hoping that if I had that amazing resource at Shepherd, that I could parlay that instead of my using it, make it available for kids as they came down by the night. Right. And, and I knew Nick had told me there was some, and that, that gives me some, some detail. I, I do remember he told me there was some limitations on how many nights and how many people yeah. it would accommodate. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't, with all the steps, how are you going to make that work? Um, and he, 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 he suggested that, uh, you know, and, and my, my condo was only, goodness, you could walk to Shepherd Spinal Center from, from where my condo was. And uh, uh, Nick suggested, why don't, let me, let me put you in touch with, with Louise and maybe something can, can be worked out there. I said, absolutely. I happened to be traveling overseas at the time. So logistics was a little different, a little difficult. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah. We had like an eight hour time difference, I believe. Yeah. I, I don't recall where exactly where I was. Um, Prague, Amsterdam, I, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but I had left a key with a, with a neighbor um, who, who lived in the same little condo complex and I was able to hook uh, my friend there up with, I think it was Allison Watkins. Um, and I know you had a lot of your uh, Atlanta-based sorority friends who were there. I can't remember who else. I uh, did, yeah. Mayor, well, Allison, um, amazing. Didi Provosti and Didi, Mary, Mary Dillon. Um, yes, Mary, Mary Dillon. So they came over and uh, look, I had not been in this condo for eight to nine months. I had no idea what it looked like. I could imagine it was, it was dusty and dirty. And, but, um, when I did finally get to it, I was appalled at what it looked like. It was, uh, and, but, but, um, you know, Mary and, and Allison and, and Didi and everyone came over and made it at least inhabitable. Um, they were amazing. Oh yeah. Cause I thought I was coming into, you know, a hotel room and, and it had just enough of what I needed. You had a sofa in there and that little table in front of the sofa. And you had to bed mm-hmm. in, in, um, in the bedroom. Yeah. And in uh, bedrooms, little dining room table, little kitchen. Yeah. Um, but when I did finally get there, and this was long after you, you'd already been uh, spending some time there, I saw all the ceiling paint peeling and everything else. It looked like look like a haunted condo. I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. That's not how I remember it or felt about it. <laughs> it was, I was so grateful. It was, it was, it was not good, but, but, but at least it was something and it was convenient. It was close. It was convenient. 
It was close. I could walk there, as you mentioned, and I wouldn't go for days at a time because I didn't leave Archer's side. Mm-hmm. And then when I did, it was to shower and to rest. And I might get in an hour rest. I might get in two or three. And I knew something else about it, Chris, that was so extraordinary was it was I was the only one in that entire building because nobody else had moved back yet. Mm -hmm. And so I typically when I went over there, it would either be. I mean, I guess in some ways there wasn't any rhyme or reason as to when, but I do remember walking over there and it might have been like three o'clock in the morning and it was dark and I'd had to be using like a little pen light and it was empty. I mean, there were no inhabitants. Um, And so at first it was creepy. And then it was like, I would just ask God, you know, just to, just to be with me and to let, I, I would try and tune into my body. Like, is it, is this safe? And I felt it was safe every time. And I remember when I would put that key into the, you know, into the keyhole to turn it, I, I felt like I had just every single time unlocked something that was like a room of her own. You have no idea the gift that, that it was, it was to me. And then sometimes I would shower and I would walk back and the whole escapade may have taken one hour, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was like, it was like, it was mine. And I'm, I just cannot tell you what that meant to me and someone just trying to juggle so many balls and to know that there was this oasis 24 seven. I didn't have to go through a lot of people and make, I mean, at first I had to make some arrangements and there were, there were some security pieces. I had to make sure I told a couple of people uh, on the premises, you know, who I was, et cetera. I don't think I was supposed to be there. Um, But, but it wasn't like there was a law that said I shouldn't be there uh, because I think you all were waiting for an occupancy um, permit. I think that's right. I think, I think, uh, I think all the work had been completed and it was just that final paperwork we were waiting on. It was perfectly yeah. safe for you to be there. It wasn't going to crumble around you. Exactly. It might have looked like it was, but yeah, the, no. the timing the timing was was fortunate for for the timing for both was of us. a blessing. It was yeah. a complete blessing. More blessings were coming our way slowly but surely. In the next family and friends update, you will hear about a huge milestone for Archer's recovery all still on one day, day seven at Shepherd. Then there was an afternoon of food. Food, glorious food, hot sausage and mustard. Well, not exactly that, but I sang that to Archer because He had food for the first time in 37 days. It was awesome. And while it was a small taste of a few things and nothing more than that, the sweet savorings and the other milestone that also happened is this. He passed his swallow test. He passed his swallow test. This is big. This is important. Those two to five sips of water, no more than once every hour or so from a straw which he had been practicing and has been so focused and determined to get right by reducing the many swallows of one sip of water down to just one swallow. Truly strengthened his swallowing ability. So much so that the speech therapist came in and said, are you hungry? I about fell over. It was totally unexpected. So things happened fast. Maybe we pause and celebrate the miracle of the human body and the miracle of the prayer warriors. 
all praying in concert for this very moment. She said to Archer, Archer, what's your favorite food? I honestly thought it was a question intended to be hyperbolic, but she was totally serious. Anything, she said, and then she said again, anything. I will get you anything today and over the next couple of days. It was such a beautiful moment. Archer really brightened, but here she offered anything. He paused, really smiled, and he paused again and thought, and then said, well, you know, he mouthed, French toast. And she said, okay, I'm going to get you some French toast, and I'm going to make it myself tomorrow at my house since I don't come in until the afternoons. And I can't get it today because the cafeteria is now doing lunch, but tomorrow, French toast it is. And she continued, Archer, how do you like it? With butter, syrup, powdered sugar? Archer mouthed, maple syrup. Do you like sausage? Bacon? He mouthed, bacon. How do you like your bacon? Crispy, chewy, soft? was amazing. They got the breakfast menu for tomorrow down. And then she said, tell me other things you like. I was waiting. And there it was. Orange juice. Yep, that is a favorite of his. And it made me smile to hear him ask for it. And she said, Okay, how about if we go for it and I go get you an orange right now? Well, he really brightened. It was just fun. And she left and was back shortly thereafter with a tray full of food. Tortellini with the choice of marinara or cream white sauce. Archer chose marinara. Banana pudding with cookie crunches throughout whipped cream, chocolate pudding, potato chips, and an orange, which she peeled, and cranberry juice. As she peeled the orange, he chose banana pudding, and he tried each, but just a tiny piece or a tiny spoon's worth. As he mulled each tiny spoonful in his mouth, he was very careful about his swallowing. I could tell it was not easy, and I know Archer. He will be cautious and circumspect until he know it's not going to cause harm. His smell is off, though, and his taste not so good, and she had warned him of that. But the experience as a whole was glorious, glorious food that he could swallow and taste. She squeezed the orange in a cup and with a new straw, I saw a delight come over Archer as he slowly savored the sweet orange juice. They have his feeding tube to 2,400 calories now. Amazing, considering we started at 240 calories a day when he was first injured. It's been about 1,500 for a couple of weeks now. So now, some real food will begin. As he took a very small bite of each, she offered more. But he mouthed, nothing more and smiled. He didn't want any more. 
Bon appetit, my son. Food was an issue in many ways for us over the next few weeks. Archer, a young foodie, was a good cook. And I sensed, well, I'm not sure if I can put my finger on it exactly. But food seemed to be a sort of barometer for how he was doing day to day. I could see what he savored and I could also see, or what I think I saw fleetingly, I'm not sure, the thoughts of, well, just whether to go on with all of this or not. I don't know how many quadriplegic young men and women contemplate suicide. I prayed Archer would have the will to live. Our son, Dewey, who was two years older than Archer, came to visit a week or so later and recalls in an interview how he approached getting Archer to eat on those times when it was not so easy. I do remember going in there and the nurses saying that, like, oh, we're glad to have your energy because you're going to give him a hard time about not eating. And I think Archer was... At that point, not sure if he wanted to live or die. Hmm. And, what, um, what, what gave you that sense? He didn't want to eat, even though he could. He, like, I, I don't know. And I also think he might have like told me in the after the fact, you know, that like it was. He wasn't like, it was like legitimately like something like a daily contemplation almost. I don't want to like speak for Archer, but I think it was. Mm. And I remember like the first day I go in there and I was like, just pissing Archer off, making him eat. And he really didn't want to, but I was like, you're going to eat, bro. I don't know. That was... And I don't, and dad being dad, of course, is giving Archer what he wants, which is if he doesn't want food, he's not going to give him food because dad's a really good dad like that. <laughs> but also, Archer needs a little kick in the ass sometimes. We all were pulling for Archer in every way we knew how. And none of us really knew what was going on in Archer's head. He had no ability to talk and our communication was minimal, as the effort itself to speak was large. With the feeding tube now in his stomach directly, I also wondered why Archer couldn't talk. I was beginning to wonder about many things now that the days seemed to have a little bit more space in them, but the days at Shepherd were also taking on a new shape beginning to have extreme highs and extreme lows. It was discouraging when the pulmonologist criticized what had been done at Atlanticare. I knew we had had problems, but to learn that more knowledge of spinal cord injury may have spared Archer a surgery or two was just, in some ways, not helpful to hear. But I also wasn't sure how things were going that well at Shepherd either. I was consulting in the quiet hours of the late night with a spiritual friend whom I thought had wise knowledge for me about Archer and his path while I was busy on phone calls with Billy about finances and our future taking care of Archer. All of that had to be outside of Archer's presence, so it was tricky. I didn't want to miss anything any tech or person entering our room had to say. My notebooks were filling, and my head was crammed with information and thoughts. 
but there were also precious reprieves. One of those sweet moments was seeing Archer savor the food. It occurred to me how significant it is to all of our senses and to our well-being to slowly savor a morsel of food and to really taste it like it opens up all our senses and appreciation for the sweetness of life. Maybe you have had such a moment yourself. I think the inverse might also be true, that without the flavor of food, without the sweetness of food, our senses might dull to the fullness of life. It also occurred to me in those first moments of Archer's tasting food again after so long, that maybe Archer was smart to have been tentative and not having much more than a morsel. Well, I wrote to my family and friends this day. Turns out, Archer was also very wise in choosing the smallest of portions. (laughs) All that AP chemistry mattered because even with like just a half a spoonful of what the speech therapist had brought, he experienced gas bubbles and tried to burp many times throughout the evening. It was a bit distressing to him though because he had the sensation of wanting to burp but not having the ability to do so because he doesn't have the innervation to the musculature needed in his diaphragm to burp. It might sound funny, but it really was very uncomfortable. He really worked on it a few times throughout the night. So the nurse would open up one of the vent tubes in his stomach, literally taking a cap off a tube and out would an air bubble or two. (laughs) It was amazing. I think it's pretty exciting that he could even feel those things or was aware of those things inside his body, in his internal organs, his arms and legs will follow. I just know. Alana Shepard, the founder of the Shepherd Center, came to see Archer, and we took a picture as he was quite happy having just had his first meal. He smiled for the picture. It was very genuine. I could also see in his eyes that he almost had... No, I, I really think he did have love for her for starting this amazing place. I am firmly knowing that a creative miracle is in the making. It's happening, and it's happening right now. It's happening because of the sustained prayers. God is hearing you, and collectively, we are all together, the instruments for God's wonder, and splendor, and we will see miraculous things. I know it. Thank you so very much for believing this. We are believers, and I might believe it more than you do at times, and you might believe it more than we do on some days, and so it will go. We will inspire each other. We really are all in this together. We are, we need each other and we need God more than that. Thank you angels and prayer warriors. We are winning this battle. Life can change in the blink of an eye. 
life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening next Wednesday to the trauma healing learning that accompanies this story at Trauma Healing Learning 5, Somatic Healing Through Food. Thank you for listening and telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That, the integrative center for trauma healing, advocacy, and transformation. A nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 6, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.icthat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.